From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Dr. Barbara Feuerstein is just back from Ecuador, where she and a team of students were part of a medical brigade. She's here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio, along with medical student Moje Amarawan. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for asking us. Dr. Feuerstein is an associate professor of medicine at Upstate, and she specializes in endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism. Moje is a second-year medical student, and the trip they were part of was sponsored by the Upstate Institute for Global Health and Translational Science. So how did each of you become involved in this initiative? Moje? So actually, a classmate of mine, Gavin, um, introduced the, uh, the idea to us throughout the course of, the, of last year. And um, he talked about it a couple of times, and it was something that I kept in the back of my mind. And then there was an interest meeting uh, toward the end of the year that we went to. And uh, yeah, at that point, it became something that I was really interested in in, uh, being a part of. How many students came with you, Dr. Feuerstein? So we had three first-year rising second-year students, and we had a PA student from Lemoyne, we had an MPH student from Upstate, and we had a student from Colorado yeah. who is doing work on how to help decrease mosquito-borne illnesses. Wow. So kind of a big group. Yeah. And where did you, where did you go in Ecuador? So I became involved um, actually two years ago because I read about it in an upstate newsletter and I saw that there was, had been an earthquake in 2016 and a young woman, Avril Diaz, had started an NGO after the earthquake with a couple of other people where she wanted to help in the recovery program to help the people in Bahia de Caracas. What does NGO stand for? Non-governmental organization. Okay, non-profit. so non-profit. A non-profit, it's a non-profit that yeah. helps. So um, I was happy to go on an upstate sponsor program because I thought that it would be something that was sustainable because Groups go back there frequently from throughout the country, and actually there have been several groups, several brigades that have gone from upstate in the past three years. So it's not just a one-shot trip. Exactly. It's a sustained effort. Exactly. So tell me how you went about preparing for the trip. Um, I'm sure you had to pack certain things, right? How did, how did you get ready so for it? So my main goal was to be able to educate the people there so that when we left, we felt like we had done something that was going to leave a good impact right. on the area. So we tried to get as much educational materials that we could in Spanish. And since I'm an endocrinologist, I was focusing on diabetes. Moje happened to be working this summer at the Joslin Center, which was a perfect match for me because one day I asked him to translate a bunch of the diabetes material that we use daily at the Joslin Center, and he was able to do that, and we brought a lot of those materials as well. Um, We were able to get donations from a lot of places. We brought a lot of insulin, diabetes medication, glucose testing machines, and we left enough medication, especially the insulin, for a year. Wow. So we feel really good about that. So you both were confident with your Spanish speaking, or did did you need I, to have that skill? Yeah, so I actually took medical Spanish uh, the fall semester and the spring semester of last year, and um, it you wasn't put enough. it to I, use. Yeah, I put it. I definitely put it to use, but I also would supplement with apps and uh, you know things like that to prepare for the trip. So, and the people who run Walking Palms in Bahia 
have a group of students, high school students, who were our translators. Oh, so there yeah. were six women, young women, and three men who yeah. were with us all week who we fell in love with, who did an outstanding job, and they were there with us by our sides the entire week. And yeah. so Walking Palms is the NGO, the Disaster yes. Relief So group. Walking Palms was started after the earthquake by Avril Diaz and a few other people, and she has gone back and forth to run it, even though she was in New York City getting a master's degree last year. She still has programs running all year through teaching the locals how to continue when she's not there. So what sorts of evidence did you see of earthquake damage or recovery? Because you're there to a little more than two years after the earthquake, right? So I was there after a year after the earthquake in 2017, and then I went back two years later this summer. And in 2017, it looked much more like a mess in the main streets. There was still garbage. It was still a lot of upheaval. The beach was a mess. You, I didn't even want to go on the beach. Uh, now it looks like the main streets, the beach, are really cleaned up. But when you go to where the people are living, which we did, we made house calls, mm -hmm. and we actually went to where the locals live, it's still in very bad shape. The people are still living in tents that are like tarps. They're still living in tin can type enclosures. There's no glass in the windows, yeah. nothing in the doors. The mosquitoes can come and go as they please. Um, they have no running water, very little to no electricity. Yeah, there were a lot of buildings that were still, uh, you could tell, were um, had very clear evidence of being damaged by the earthquake. Um, but apart from like physical evidence, there was a lot of uh, you know, patients who had anxiety and had trouble sleeping um, and had depression as well. And, um, you know, I talked to a couple of them and, and asked, hey, when did this start? And they said, you know, Ever since the earthquake, I've had trouble sleeping or, you know, I, I've been really anxious for the past couple of years and I just don't really know why. So apart from physical evidence, there's a lot of very clear health reasons. You're so. listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Barbara Feuerstein and medical student Moje Amarowan. They're just back from a medical brigade that they took to Ecuador and uh, I was going to ask, um, now that it's not really a disaster relief that's being provided, what does the clinic offer to these, these people, the people that live there? Um, you got into some of it. Is, is it um, PTSD and things of that nature? Yeah, so, global, uh, so Walking Problems Global Health is an organization that um, they use a, like an intertwined approach of education, research, and medicine. Um, sort of an interdisciplinary approach to kind of help communities heal. So they offer quite a few different programs, and mental health is definitely one of the things that they offer. Um, they also offer like women's health, um, uh, disease prevention, and how to and how to like protect yourself against like mosquitoes and and uh, nutritional advice, that kind of thing. So uh, the organization is very active in making sure that the communities um, have the right information, and so. That's just some of the ways that they, they are attempting to heal that community. Do you have any memorable patients you can tell us about? Yeah, definitely. So one of the patients, uh, his name was Alex, and he, he, was, uh, he, he had diabetes, and he was actually wheelchair-bound because of he had um, 
edema in his uh, in his left leg. And, and he had was, arterial insufficiency, yeah. so he was in constant pain in his yep. butt and couldn't walk. Yeah. So that's swelling. That was swelling. Uh, yeah, yeah. He had okay. you know, really bad swelling in his left leg, so he was uh, in a wheelchair, and his one his right leg had a shoe on it, and his left leg didn't because the, um, it it hurt to have anything against sure. the against his foot. Um, so when we first got there and we talked to him, his I think blood sugar was you know above four hundred, which uh, is way high. Which was really high. Yes. So he was one of the patients that we kept going to see um, almost every day. I think every day we went to his house to talk to him and to to see how he was doing. And I think uh, we we ended up treating him with uh, insulin. Um, and his blood sugar was was it was it roughly? We half? got it down to two hundred. Yeah, we got it down to about half by the time we were wow. about to leave. Um, so a funny story, I think. Uh, one night, me and Gavin went over, and we went to his house, and uh, he was laying in his bed, and his bed is right by the window, and we didn't want to have to make him, you know, get up and get in his wheelchair and kind of open the door for us, so we wanted to check his blood sugar, and Gavin had him stick his hand out his out window, window. <laughs> and yeah, we took his blood sugar through the window of his house, uh, so that's definitely a memorable story. Most wow. of the time when we visited him, he was sitting in his wheelchair on the sidewalk. Yeah. He spent pretty much most of the day on the sidewalk, yeah. and the way he would eat a meal would be if somebody he knew happened to walk by that day, and he'd ask them to stop going to his house and get him something to eat. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you made house calls, it sounds like. You weren't just in a clinic building. You were out in the community, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made another house call with Avriel one night up to the top of one of the hills where a woman was in a tin can type house with she has nine children and it was one room no running water or electricity her uh, diabetes was really poorly controlled and she couldn't see she couldn't walk and we went with a diabetes nurse who's going to go check on her periodically and we gave her enough insulin for a few months And also a new glucose meter. So we're hoping that her vision will get better uh, with the insulin treatment. When I was there two years ago, the people were very impressed with the power of insulin because we saw a woman in another house call who hadn't been able to see for two years. And when we started on insulin, they sent me an email because after I go back home, they send me emails with the blood sugars so I can adjust the insulin by email. And they told me after a few months of using the insulin, she could see again. Wow. So that was really powerful for all the people down there to see that the medication really made a huge difference for her. Is diabetes the same disease in Ecuador as it is in the U.S.? Uh, Type 2 diabetes is what we mostly saw there because I think there's so little insulin available to people that people who have type 1 diabetes do not survive. Diabetes is really underreported in Ecuador because a lot of the people have no health care because they can't afford it. There's still no hospital since the earthquake for people who can't pay. Only people who can pay can go to the hospital. So it is underreported, but it's still related to obesity and lifestyle and diet. So that's why we try to educate them to eat less chips, not drink the soda, not drink juice all day. The people there 
drink a lot of juice and they think since there's no sugar added to it, it's okay. But we tried to educate them that even though there's no sugar added to it, it's still, it's still pure fruit sugar, which will still raise their blood sugar right away. So education hopefully can make an impact. That's what we pray for. Right. Well, tell me about the trip. Where did you stay when you got to Ecuador? So we stayed in uh, a, a place called Las Brisas, which is uh, pretty close to the water, right about right about on, on the beach. Um, it was a it's a really it's a really nice place, I think. Because this uh, was a, a the earthquake was coastal, yeah. right? So um, how close to the epicenter of the earthquake were you working? Uh, like, I think we were at least maybe an hour or so from from the epicenter. But this house that we stayed in was still standing. Yeah. The two houses on either side were crushed. Right. Wow. So it's just a matter of that this house was more solid when it was built. So you were in the area that was impacted. And when oh, you definitely. hear beach, don't think of tropical beach like, you know, Hawaii. This is a beach where there's no tourists. I didn't hear any language other than Spanish the entire time. Uh, the beach is pretty um, run down. Is it, still... is it a sandy beach or a rocky beach? Or... Some of it is, yeah. but there's a lot of um, debris from the houses and the buildings right. along the beach. Yeah, a lot of wood, a lot of rocks. Uh, there was sand, but okay. yeah, we could tell there's still evidence of, uh, of damage there. What, was your, what were your days like and what did you eat? Oh, uh, well, the food there was actually really good. Um, we had a, uh, a local uh, woman named uh, Mar- Marianne who would come and prepare meals for us. And uh, the food there was just, it was, it, she, was, she was really good at, uh, at making the meals for us, I think. I think all of us were just like blown away every day. by. So like, she would she start, would... she would make breakfast for you in the morning? So breakfast we would sort of prepare like ourselves. Uh, um, uh, one of the people who was with us, uh, his name was Blas, he would go out into the market and he would get, you know, uh, fruit and granola and that kind of thing. And that oh. would be our breakfast. And then uh, Marianne would make lunch and dinner for us. I think I ate better that week than I've eaten in my whole life because <laughs> she had worked in the prisons for many years and she just knew how to make the food really tasty and everything so fresh because they go twice a day to the market every day. And we got papayas and naranjas and all these exotic fruits that yeah. we can't get here. Well, uh, this sort of trip is still um, an option for other students um, for subsequent years, right? Yes, definitely. So the trip, uh, it's still, uh, so they do two trips uh, in December if there's enough interest, and there's another uh, trip in July. So uh, I would encourage people to please go on to this experience. It's definitely something that I'm going to remember for uh, for quite a while. Um, So I first decided to get involved because I wanted to sort of, you know, do something that I hadn't done before and sort of get out of my comfort zone. Um, but it, it's definitely something that, that I, I'm glad that I did. So uh, there's a web, there is an, an email for people who are interested. Um, and this is through the Upstate Institute for Global Health and Translational Science. Right. So people could find more information Christina there. Lupone is in charge. Yeah. Okay. Well, good to know. And I want to say that the pleasure as an attending, I've worked here at Upstate for 26 years. Uh of seeing the medical students from the beginning to the end and what their progress was really touched me very much. 
So when I started out with Moje in the beginning, he was a little nervous, not really sure of himself. And then the last day he was presenting a patient to me. And when he finished, we just sort of looked at each other and said, wow, you did it. <laughs> and I think that was a great moment for both of us for yeah. different reasons. But I, I was really proud of you there. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming in and sharing uh, your experience with the listeners for HealthLink on Air. My guests have been Dr. Barbara Feuerstein and medical student Moje Amarawan. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.